All right, so, yeah, last time we talked about uh, people taking scriptures out of context. This time we want to talk about taking a concept out of context. And this may take us a couple times to talk about, but specifically in 1 John 4, verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so the main thing that I wanted to talk about today is the concept of God is love. And I think that that is a concept that uh, um, not only believers take out of context, but I believe that the world takes out of context also because, um, like, just watching the news, anytime something bad happens, they're like, well, why did God allow this to happen? You know, so it's, and it's all based in this concept and this view that we have God. And I believe that um, a lot of that view is not correct. Um, basically, our, our, modern, our modern Christian view of the love of God comes from the 60s. It comes from like the fl whole flower child thing and from the Beatles and stuff. All you need is love. And, and basically what they're talking about is an emotional, uh, an emotional concept. One of, of, of how you feel towards somebody or how you feel towards a certain thing. And if you feel, if you feel all, all um, emotional about something or if you feel all kind of emotional inside about something, then that means that you love that person or you love that thing or you love that whatever and stuff. And, uh, you know, the thing that we fail to, to remember is like even the Beatles, those guys treated each other like crap. Um, they treated their wives, they treated their children terribly and stuff, and the whole hippie movement was untenable because the problem with mankind is that basically we're selfish. Um, everything is about me. Me, me, me. How can I gratify me? And so I can love you, but I'm only going to love you unless I have the love of Jesus in me. I can only love you to a certain extent because I love myself more than I love you. So I can love you to the extent to where it doesn't cost me anything. But when it comes to the point to where it's costing me something and then it's not, it's not easy to do, then, then that's where the love stops. And so, again, we, this is the view that the world talks about when, and it's a view what, that a lot of believers talk about when we talk about the love of God and God being love. And we think that all that God is is kind of this heavenly bellhop, and we pray to Him, and He gives us everything that we want. And He blesses us, He makes us happy, He doesn't require anything from us, and, and this is all over the world. It used to be America, but it's pretty much spread to all, all parts of the world. And now, now we pray to God, and he's, he's like, kind of like a spiritual Santa Claus, and he answers our prayers, and he gives us the things that we ask for. But a lot of times, God doesn't give you what you ask for. A lot of times, God, because he loves us, because if, uh, if some of us, if God were to give us a million dollars, it would destroy us, mm -hmm. Right? And so because God loves us sometimes, He doesn't give us the things that we ask for. Because God loves us, if you have unlimited resources and unlimited time, who knows what you would do with that time, with those resources and things. So a lot of times God doesn't give us the things that, uh, that we want because of the very reason that He loves us. Um, and so some of the other things, I mean, when we talk about God being love, again, what we do is a lot of times we see 
God is single faceted. We look at this thing, this concept of God being love, and that's the only view that we see him as. We don't see him as anything else. Um, we are all made in the image, in the likeness, in the nature, in the character of God. And we are all multifaceted. We don't just have one part of our personality. There's, we're not just like a certain person. This, this person is anger, right? Or this person is niceness. Or this person is this. Or this person is that. Every single one of us have, have uh, they're like layers to us and stuff. And, and uh, so, you know, God is the same way. He's multifaceted. So when we read in First John where it says God is love, it's not meant to be, okay, this is all God is. This is the box of God. This is exactly what God is. He's nothing else. This is God. God is love. Well, the thing is, is in First John 5, or 4, he's addressing a particular issue, a particular problem. So in this case, he's saying God is love. In another place, he might say God is, is uh, justice. In another place, he might say God is wrath against sin. Right, so God is all of these things, and so let's uh, let's look at some other things that God is. Exodus chapter twenty. Because God is, again, uh, and that's what religion does. Religion brings God down to this kind of cardboard cutout, right? We make him like a, a caricature almost and stuff, and 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 then we we're like, okay. It's almost like what the uh, what the Israelites did with the golden calf. They make a gold a calf out of gold. I mean, he's made out of precious metals and stuff like that. But it's still a, a metallic object. It's not something that will listen to you. It's not something that will grieve with you. It's not something that will understand your pain. That will understand the things that you're going through. It's a lifeless object. And sometimes we do that with God. We turn him into this lifeless thing. God is this. And stuff, and God is much more than that. In his Exodus 20, verse 2, look what he says. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness or what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You will not worship them or serve them. Look at this, for he says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So we don't ever take that phrase and say, God is a jealous God, right? We don't make that the totality of who God is. Again, that's just an aspect of who he is. You can't take one aspect of him and say, this is who God is. God is multifaceted. Look in another place in uh, Psalm chapter 7. Psalm chapter 7, verse 11. The Psalm, uh, let's see. Okay. Psalm 11, uh, 7, verse 11. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. I think the King James says, he says, a God who is angry over sin. So these are other uh, aspects of God. And the thing with Christianity and the thing with coming to know God is we want to know Him for who He is. 
We want to have a relationship with him. The whole reason why God created Adam is so that Adam could have a relationship with God. God longed for someone that he could walk with, that he could talk with, that he could share his heart with, that he could share his heart with, and that Adam could share his heart with him. And this is God. God is not just a dead formal religion. God is not a concept. God is a person, right? And God wants relationship with us, and he wants us to know him for who he is. Whenever we have a relationship with, with people, the best relationships that we have are relationships with people who understand us, people who know us for what we are, people who know everything about us and still like us, people who know our faults, people who know our weaknesses, and yet they still accept us, they still love us, and they still understand us. Well, that's how God is. And in some senses, we are the same way with God. Because there are things that, I mean, there are things even in the scripture that you read about God and you're like, man, that's tough, right? But that doesn't change our viewpoint of God. We understand that God existed before us. God created us. We are his servants and what he says, and we live our lives to please him. So wherever we see things that, uh, that, that we don't like, those are things that we change. Those are things that we say, there's something in my heart that needs to change. Amen? Instead of trying to change God. <laughs> right. And the problem, the problem with modern Christianity is I think that uh, it's kind of, and it's not taught, but I think it's kind of caught in that we as believers, um, we feel that as believers, we're, we're just supposed to be nice to everybody. And we're supposed to treat everybody nice, and we're supposed to like um, just be nice to everybody. And the problem with love is love is not always nice, right? Sometimes love is being tough, like even with your kids. Yep. Sometimes, you know, because you love your kids, you have to discipline them. I just explained that to them in the car. Nice. Like, like, because they were asking questions about, like, well, if God created everything, why did he create these mosquitoes? Why, you know, they were talking about brain freezes. Why? And I was like, well, I was like, our, our body reacts to the freeze. Like, God didn't create the brain freeze. And he's like, but really he did because he allows it, you know. And I was like, well, there's sinful nature, and our body is a part of that sinful nature. Like, we were born into this world with sin, and... The animals that, you know, because they were talking about snakes and just different things that can be problematic, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, well, that's part of the sin world. Like, God created all these things, but before sin, they were perfect. So then when Adam and Eve fell, like, everything was destroyed, you know. Like, every we have a curse, like, now coming under the blood of Christ, like, we... I'm not under that curse anymore, and so like we're that's how we're able to see by the spirit what is our flesh and what isn't. So I'm t telling them all these things, and I explain to them like when I when I yell at you, when I spank you, those are not things that I want to do. I don't want to get upset with you. No. My desire for you is to walk in goodness, but my love for you corrects you, and so like that is the same with God. Like He doesn't desire He desires for us to walk in goodness. But because we are sinful, he has to grip at us, and he yeah. has to correct us and move us back. And yeah, That's good. That's real good. And that's the thing. It is true. It is one million percent true that God is love. Mm -hmm. God, it, I mean, I'm not saying that God is not love, because he is love. 
But what I'm saying is that that is just one aspect of who he is. Um, let's look at some scriptures that talk about, um, that kind of illustrate it. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10. Now this is after the people of God had come out of, um, um, out of Egypt and they're going into the land to, to take the land that God has called them to, that is, God has given to them. And in verse 10, he says, When you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. So even in this point, God's having mercy on the people of the land. In verse 12, he says, However, if it does not make peace with you, but makes war against you, then you, will then you shall besiege it. When the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you will strike all the men in it with the edge of the sword. Only the women and the children and the animals and all that's in the city, all its spoil, you will take as booty for yourself, and you shall use the spoil of your enemies, which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, uh, which are not of the cities of these nations nearby. Only in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Look at this in verse 18. So, you, so if you take that, you just think that God is, is, is a cruel God, that he's an angry God. But look at verse 18. He says the reason why he's telling you to do this. He says, so that you may teach, so that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things which they have done for their gods, so that you would not sin against the Lord your God. You see that? So again, even when God is telling them when, because so many people, so many unbelievers are like, well, why did God have, uh, have the people wipe other people out and stuff? And God warned them over and over again, if you allow these people to live here, they will turn your heart away from following God. And you will wind up serving idols and you will turn away from God yourself. And it happened over and over in the Old Testament. Um, turn to Judges chapter 2. So again, God was telling them to do this out of his love for them. Judges, what? Judges chapter 2, verse 11. So this is again once a little bit further on when, when um, the people of Israel had gone into the land under Joshua and things. And then in verse 11, then the sons after, after, well, look at verse 10. He says, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. In other words, they died, the people of Joshua. And it says, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Now, obviously they knew because the people would have told their children and their grandchildren the stories of what God did to deliver them, okay? So when it says that they didn't know the Lord or the things that the Lord did, it's not that they hadn't heard the things, it's that they had not taken the things to heart and let the things that they had heard change their lives and cause them to seek the Lord themselves. Basically what you were talking about earlier, the people, the, the fathers served God and followed God, but for whatever reason, they when they tried to pass it down to their children, their children didn't receive it and stuff. Verse 11, Then the sons of Israel did is evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. 
And they forsook, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and, <clears throat> excuse me, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord, and they served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of, the, of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. In other words, God didn't, God didn't just allow this to happen to them. God warned them over and over again, just like we saw in that last place. God warned them, if you do this, you will follow the gods of the peoples around you and it will bring judgment on you. And yet still they did that. Verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Look at verse 17, yet they did not listen to their judges for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked and obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. So again, even in their sins, even in their idol worship, even in the fact that these people turned their backs against God, he still had mercy on them. He still heard their groanings and, and, it, and it broke his heart and he sent deliverers. He sent judges to deliver them from the, from the nations around them who were subjugating them. Verse 19, but it came about when the judge died that they were turned back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and bow down to them, and they did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I will also no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua, Joshua left when he died. So again, uh, turn to back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. So but to end that, though, basically, he warned them several times and tried to help them, but when they kept resisting God, he disciplined them, basically, right? right? Okay. And see, and that's the thing, with the church, with the church, we are God's representatives. We are ambassadors of Christ. And so, and, and we try to tell the world, the people around us, that things are are sin, that things aren't pleasing to God, and they won't listen. And then, when judgment comes, then they're like, well, why is God allowing this? Oh, okay. And it's like, well, why didn't you turn at his rebuke? Why don't you listen to the voice of God? God doesn't do this because he enjoys doing it, just like you said. Mm -hmm. They bring the curse down on themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. Sin brings a curse. Mm -hmm. And it's not like God is up there cursing and throwing lightning bolts and things like that. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit here in just a minute. But sin brings a curse. It's just, it's, it's a law of the universe. It's a law of the world that we live in that when you sin, and again, it's not God doing it. When you sin, it enacts a curse. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14. Just look again at uh, God's warnings to people. In verse 14, he says, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, 
You will surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your countrymen you shall set a king over yourselves. You will not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not one of your countrymen. Which I think is interesting about Herod because Herod was an, uh, an Edomite basically. And uh, yet they made him the king of Israel. Uh, verse 16, Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply, listen to this, he shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away, nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. So in verse 17, he says, Whenever you, may, uh, whenever you uh, set a king over you, that king is not to multiply wives for himself. That king's not to get all these wives like the nations do because they'll lead his heart astray. And uh, turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 11. Now we all know David. We, know, we all know that David was a man after God's own heart. God loved David. God, uh, and David loved God. 1 Kings? Uh, yeah, 1 yeah, yeah, Kings chapter 11. I'm glad you said that because I was in 1 Samuel. And so, um, God and David had a relationship that very few people had in the, in the Old Testament. And uh, so, when, when David had a son, Solomon, God, David wanted to build a temple for God, but God wouldn't allow him to do it. He said, because you're a man of blood. He said, but I will allow your son, Solomon, to do it. Okay, so God raised up Solomon to be king. He allowed him to build a temple for him. Solomon started following God with all of his heart. He, he served God. He built a temple for him. He followed in the footsteps of his, of his father David. And then look at this in uh, 1 Kings 11, verse 1. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. And what did we just see? God said, the king is not to multiply wives. He said, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall, you, shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away for, after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 um, concubines and look at this and his wives turned his heart away for when Solomon was old his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God as had been the heart of David his father for Sol Solomon went after Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians and after Milcom the detestable idol of the Ammonites Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable idol of Moab, on the mountain which is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the detestable idol of the sons of Ammon. Thus also he did for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Verse 9, Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. How many times were we like, you know, if God would just show up, if God would just appear to me before my eyes, then my life would be forever changed, right? And this says that God appeared to Solomon twice. And this just shows the heart of man because it's just like, I don't know if you guys know the story in the New Testament about um, the rich man and Lazarus. 
it says that uh, um, that uh, there was this rich man and stuff, and he lived in his wealth and his luxury and stuff like that. And there was this poor man that would beg from him and stuff. And basically, the rich man never even paid him attention or, or cared for him or anything. It said that the poor man died one day and stuff, and the rich man also died. Uh, the rich man was in hell, and the poor man was in heaven, essentially. And uh, Lazarus, who was the rich, or the rich man was like, Lord, send, send, send someone from among my family to come and dip water to my tongue to, to ease me in this flames and stuff. And then he kept talking to him and he said, uh, basically, send someone from my relatives to preach to other people or send someone to my relatives to preach to them so that they won't wind up in this place. And Jesus said, if they don't believe the scriptures, they wouldn't believe it if someone went to them physically. And so, again, everything that we, our faith is a, our walk is a walk of faith. Everything that we have, everything that we are is by faith, right? And so, even if God were to come and appear before us, if your heart is not right, you're still not going to receive it, right? So, I mean... If, if, if we can't read the word and believe what it says about God, then, then nothing will convince you, essentially. Because the word has everything that we need. The word, just like we've talked about before, has everything pertaining to life and godliness. The word is Jesus, is, is, is Jesus, right? Everything that we read about in the word represents Jesus, and he is the living embodiment of these scriptures that we have in our hands. So everything that we read points us to him. So when you read the Bible and you mix it with faith, essentially he is there right with you, right? That's why sometimes we can read the word of God and we can sense the presence of God right there with us because he is with us. And it's when we're mixing it with that faith that it becomes powerful, it becomes alive, and it becomes real. I think it's interesting how in that story, just the crazy, how God revealed himself to Solomon, like you said, on more than one occasion, and, and his compassion. Yes, he was angry, but he was also compassionate to want him to turn back, and when he didn't, then he brings judgment, because it says look, down below, then, so the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this, and you've not kept my covenant, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you, and will give it to your servant. Yeah. And from that point, when, when, when Solomon's son was born, I mean, that's the nation of Israel was divided. And it was never again united until, like, the time of Christ, basically. Mm. Stuff, and, yeah. Um, turn to uh, John chapter 6. And so, again, every, all these scriptures that we read at that talks about judgment, and all these scriptures that we talk, that we just read that talks, it, that, that, Unbelievers will point to what a harsh God he is. In every instance, God was warning the people. Uh, over and over in the, in the Bible, it talks about, like, even in uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's blessings and curses. Curses if you don't obey, but blessings if you do obey. Some pretty outstanding blessings at that. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing it. is, it is, is, it is the heart of God to bless us. God wants to bless us. God wants to give us good things. He wants to be a father to us. But, but he also wants us to walk in obedience to right. him. And that's, that's... The curses are... The curses are the natural consequences. Right. And so they're from the devil... 
you know, just because, you know, God says that you'll be cursed or whatever. Yeah. You'll have a curse, but the curse comes because of your sin. Because so, but God yeah. also brings He is love, even them. in His discipline and His wrath, He's still love. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mm -hmm. just He can't, He won't tolerate those things. That's mm -hmm. just who right. He is. Right. But He never, He doesn't act apart from love. But yeah. like you were saying, you know, discipline is, you he disciplines those who he loves. So right. your illegitimate son, if he doesn't discipline right. you. so But even mm -hmm. that's love so that you'll yeah. turn. Right. And all his commandments are love so that you won't be harmed or so that your family right. won't be harmed or your friends won't be harmed. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. sin, I had a, my, the lady that helps clean my house, we were talking the other day, and she had an illustration that she said somebody asked for forgiveness for something and He's like, well, I'll forgive you, but I want you to take up this pillow out there and just, you know, open it up, let the feathers go, you know, let the feathers go, and then I want you to go try to collect all the feathers. He's like, you know, I forgive you, but that's how your sin is. Mm. It's There's consequences mess scattered yeah. everywhere, that's and good. you can't really clean it out. That's really you know? good. So those consequences, we don't even... Yeah. Understand. When it's like in James or, or, you know, or Galatians where it talks about you reap what you sow and stuff. And that's the thing is like a lot of times we reap from our sins and God won't necessarily rescue you from that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a lot of times if we're, if say like if we're, if we're doing drugs and we get, we get busted and we go to jail. I mean, you can say to God, I'm sorry, all you want to say, but God is not going to necessarily lift you out of that jail. A lot of times, you know, and that it's like you say, God's not sitting there, okay, I'm going to pour all this punishment on you, but at the same time, because you did what you did, you're going to pay the price for it. Because God is not going to rescue you from your, from the, because the thing is, is again, like if we have a parent that rescues us every time that we get in trouble, then we never learn to stop doing the things that we're doing and stuff. And so... Through the trials, through the things, through the judgments, God wants us to learn so that we don't live like that. So we we don't walk in those things. And yeah. I've been like really desiring to know the Lord in a deeper way regarding this stuff because I'll see like people and what they say regarding the, the Lord's love and how God, like just in regards to the storms alone, mm -hmm. like. Because there's a huge controversy in the body, whether this is judgment from the Lord or not. Mm -hmm. He's actually going to talk about that later really? if you want to yeah, mm -hmm. interject yeah. at that point. But that's, that's what's really cool. So, in my mind, I think we can't forget the sovereignty of the Lord. And we have to also realize that, yes, there's this is a grace period. You know, before Judgment Day. Like, Jesus came back to show us how to love and all of these things but at the same time we have to look at Ananias and Sapphira yeah like we can't forget about them you know like their sin took them over and mm -hmm. and Jesus also says I read it this morning where he says um that it would like like if a whole city or whatever is taken over or awful things happen there it's not that the sin of every person but he says unless they repented too they will perish yeah mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. I've been struggling with that, like, and just 
crying out to the Lord, asking him to know him in a deeper way in that scenario. Like, I want to know what's really of you, Lord. Because mm-hmm. there's not really a whole lot of unity in the body with this situation, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think that's why nobody's really walking in power regarding it, because there's no unity. Yeah. And so it's like we got to seek God and what he says regarding this. Right. Yeah, yeah we, we will definitely talk about that. Uh, John 6, verse 47 and, and this is the thing, you know, we want, what we want is we want a God that's permissive. We want a God that is like, God, just let me get away with my sins. Just kind of wink at this one. Just let me slide here and, and I, you know, I won't do it next time and stuff. And we want a God that's permissive, like a permissive parent that lets us get away with it, uh, all kinds of things. But God is not that way. And God will not be that way with us. And which, honestly, sometimes he is that way. Sometimes, I mean, there's been many times in my life when I deserve some serious punishment and God did rescue me out of it. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to make the mistake of saying that God won't be like that. But for the most part, it's his nature and his character to not be that way because he loves us and because he wants us to learn and because he wants us to grow up and to walk in maturity and not do those things. And in John 6... Verse uh, 47, look at what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live, excuse me, he will live forever And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So, so far, everything sounds great, right? Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. And I'm all, and I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to give you, uh, you know, to eat. And you won't be hungry anymore and stuff. But then he continues in verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, obviously, being unspiritual, they have no concept what he's talking about in the first place. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you can have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now again, we've talked about this before and, we're, and we know that what he's talking about is taking everything from him. The parts that we like, the parts that we don't so much like, the parts that kind of our flesh sometimes are like, oh, I don't know about that and stuff. He says you have to partake of all of it and so, And so uh, verse 57, as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so he who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is a bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These words he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Look at this in verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? With Jesus conscience, conscious that his disciples, and this, again, this is not talking about the Pharisees. It's not talking about the scribes. It's talking about his disciples. He says, But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
So, and uh, look at this in verse 66. It says, as a result of this, many of his disciples, again, it's not talking about the world, it's not talking about Pharisees or scribes or, or any of that, it's talking about his disciples, his followers. As a result of what Jesus just said, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They're like, this way is too narrow, I'm not going to walk this way. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to also go away, do you? And then Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. So Jesus speaks these hard words, which, um, which his disciples were having trouble with. I mean, they're, they're struggling with it. And it says many of his disciples stopped following him. And the thing that's interesting and the thing that, that we need to notice about this is just because they stopped following him, he didn't say, oh, oh okay, wait a second. Oh, let me change it. Let me soften it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let me make it more palatable for you, okay? Let me, let me kind of ease some of the restrictions. He didn't change anything. Matter of fact, he said to the 12, he says, are you guys going to go away also? And that's the thing with Jesus. He doesn't just, it, 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 Jesus doesn't just say, you know, again, he doesn't soften everything. And that's the way we do in the church. That's the way preachers do all the time. That's, that's what all these seeker-friendly churches are all about. We soften the things of God so that people will want to be a part of it. And then once we get them saved, we'll kind of start discipling them and start, you know, bringing them further along and bringing them into the meat of the word. But I've been in those churches and they never get into the meat. They never go further. They stay at that same place. And there are people who have been at churches like that for 10, 20 years who have never changed at all. And this is the gospel that's being taught to the world right now and all and not all, but a lot of mega churches, that's what they're about. Because the thing is, is Jesus said the road is straight and narrow and few there are who will find it. Few there are that will pay that price. Few there are who will pick up their crosses daily and follow me. Most people, even disciples, are going to say, man, that's too tough. I can't follow that. And they'll withdraw from him and not follow him anymore. And this is the gospel. The gospel is a cross. It's an offense. It's a scandal. And for us, if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to die to ourselves. What we want, the road that we want that's easy, the road that we want that's cushy and nice and soft, we don't want the harsh thing. We don't want the paying the price. We don't want to lay down our lives and die to our desires and stuff. And, but the true Jesus doesn't change anything because people don't like it. The true Jesus says, this is the way it is. If you're going to be my disciple, this is the way of the cross. Turn to another place in uh, Luke, Luke 18. You know, we, we read in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah gets like this revelation, this glimpse of what's happening in heaven. And he sees the angels and they're covering their eyes. The angels of God who are pure and holy are covering their eyes in the presence of God because God is so holy that they can't even look at him. Now, it's not something that God is forcing them to do. It's something that they cannot look upon the glory of God because he's too holy, too pure, too righteous for them and stuff. And yet, we who call ourselves believers and say that we love him with all of our hearts 
we we we're filled with uncleanness filled with impurities and stuff and you know you look at the way that we live our lives and you look at the revelations that people got of what's going on in heaven and we're saying we say does my life match up with what's happening there right and this should be the goal. Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we like to water that down and say, well, that means being mature, being complete. And it does mean that. Yeah. But he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, are we going to attain that? No. Paul says, I have not attained that. So we will never attain that, but the goal is to pertain to that, right? That is our goal as believers to be as close to Jesus as I can possibly be, to love him with as much of my heart as I can love with him with, to be made as much into the likeness of him as I can possibly be. It's not to sit on a pew, not to sit on a bench, not to go through the motions, not to not say praise the Lord and, and pray to him whenever things are bad, pray to him whenever we want stuff, but have nothing to do with discipleship, have nothing to do with laying down our lives have nothing to do with picking up our crosses and follow him and it's all it's it's not the word when we read the word of god we see that he's got a completely different standard and in luke chapter 17 or chapter 18 verse 15 it says they were bringing uh, talking about the disciples, it says they're bringing babies to Jesus so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking the people. Right? Get those kids away from Jesus. But Jesus called to them and he said, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Look at this in verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Now that has nothing to do with the rich young ruler except for the fact that Jesus says that to receive the kingdom of God, you have to receive it as a child. What does a child do? A child says, whatever it takes, right? A child says, I want it. And that's all a child knows is I want it. And what do I have to do to get it, right? That is the nature of a child. I want it. What do I have to do to get it? Not like, oh, I'm, I'm going to stand back and, you know, I don't want it that much. So out of that, he goes right into verse 18. It says, A ruler questioned him, questioned Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Now I think this is interesting right here. It has nothing to do with the message. But Jesus didn't tell him, you know, all that stuff in the Old Testament, the commandments and stuff, uh, you don't have to worry about that because we're in a new covenant now. Mm -hmm. But he said to the man, you know the commandments. Honor your father. And he lists a bunch of commandments. And uh, he's for the guy to keep, right? And in verse 21, the guy says, he says, and he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. This man is religious. He's been religious since a child. From a child, he went to church. From a child, he's always followed God, right? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. Now, for this particular man, that was his issue, right? 
For someone else, it might be a different issue. For someone else, it might be lust. For someone else, it might be anger issues. For someone else, it might be gossip. But Jesus looked into this man's heart and he knew what this man's issue was. And Jesus pinpointed his issue and said, you know what? You got all these religious things. You do all this religious stuff and they're all great and they're all wonderful, but you're still lacking something. You need to go and sell everything that you got, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Look at this in verse 23. But when, when he had heard these things, he became very sad, talking about the young man, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? And uh, in other versions, it talks about how the young man went away and stuff. And again, here in the same way, um, the young man goes away and Jesus doesn't follow him and say, oh, wait a second, you, you know, uh, here, all you got to do is tithe to our church, come regularly and you're in, okay? That's all you got. Say the sinner's prayer and you're good to go. Jesus didn't do any of that. He lets the man go. And hopefully, somewhere along the line, the words that he spoke to him penetrated the man's heart and bore fruit. That's all we can hope, right? Because he went away sad because he was not willing to do what Jesus was calling him to do. And, you know, again, this is the nature and character of God. God does not bend with our desires, he doesn't. He created us for his purposes. We did not create him. And that's the thing. We, like the Israelites, we want a God that's created in our image rather than us being shaped, being molded, being changed into the image of God. And God's not going to put up with that. God is saying, if you're going to do it my way, it's going to be my way. I just think it's really interesting if you try to like close your eyes and imagine that whole scene. There's probably people standing around, or I know, and if this scene happened in modern day, there'd be people that would like be going, "Oh my gosh, he's not very loving." Like it doesn't sound very loving for a guy to say, "Man, what do I got to do to be saved?" I mean, just imagine evangelizing. You know, what do I got to be saved to be saved? And and the evangelists, most evangelists today would be like, oh, cool, he wants to get saved. Let's say the sinner's prayer, you know? Yeah. And like, and for, for the evangelist to instead say, you know, to him say, oh, and I do this, and I go to church, and I, you know, all these things, and for Jesus to still say, there's, but there's this one thing that you haven't surrendered to me, you know, that in our day and age would look extremely unloving. Yeah. And we would look at well, that. Even, even, even in our churches and altar calls. And we make it so easy to come and follow Jesus and stuff. And I think what happens is multitudes of people pray a prayer and yet their hearts have never been changed. Their desires have not been left at the cross. And I, I don't think their salvation is real. Even the woman that was caught in adultery. I mean, Jesus forgave her right? He says, where are your accusers? There's none. He says, neither do I condemn you. But he says, go and sin no more. He didn't just say, okay, everything's good. The slate's clean. Everything's washed away. Mm -hmm. He says, go and sin no more. Now, this was a woman who was caught in adultery. I mean, she was practicing sin, right? She was doing things that Christian, good Christian people don't do, right? And stuff. She was caught in a major sin. And Jesus forgives her of that. And Jesus is willing to forgive us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to, to wash all of us. But there has to be an element of go and sin no more. That's the whole thing about repentance. Um, 
you know, repentance, we always hear repentance means to change your mind. Repentance doesn't mean to change your mind. Repentance means to change your mindset. Okay, because if I change my mind like today, you know what? I was going to look at that porn site, but you know what? Today, I'm going to change my mind and I'm not going to do that. Well, that's not what repentance is. Repentance means I'm going to change my mind. I'm not going to look at porn anymore. Right? Do you see the difference there? One of them means that I'm going to stop my behavior. I'm going to change my behavior. The other is I'm changing my heart. I'm changing makes basically my nature and my character and it's not us doing it, it's, it's God by His power causing us to do it, right? Because there's nothing that we want to do that God has not initiated first, right? As far as in the way of holiness, as far as in the way of serving Him. Every desire that we have, if you have a desire that's hungry for God, if you have any tiny little flame that wants God, pursue it. Because that tiny flickering flame is from God. If there is anything in you, if there is anything that, that anything at all remotely in you that wants to follow God, it's because God put it there. Now the problem with us is many times, just like the rich young ruler, we blow out that flame. Because that's not what I wanted. That's not what I signed up for. That's too hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You found repentance. One time I did a study of repentance and... A lot of the a lot of the translations it was um, the Greek or whatever I was talking about turning the other way, um, you know, walking the opposite direction. Mm. So if you're walking down the street and you're going south, you can't walk north at the same time. You're gonna have to choose which way you're gonna walk and which direction right. you're gonna go. You can't do them both simultaneously. So I thought that was kind of cool. Change of direction. Yeah, that's good. Um, turn to Isaiah 29. We're gonna talk about the weather thing. Because just like you say, there are, I mean, everybody's like, well, is this from God? And uh, we, Amy and I actually saw an interview by Kirk Cameron. Yeah, I want to show that later. Okay. Um, talking about how, like, how he's like, yeah, this is from God and stuff. And, and uh, the world's immediately like, well, how could God do such a thing? Mm -hmm. How could God destroy people's lives? How I could. Friend, her husband was like, I started to comment on it, you know, like, mm -hmm. talk about, like, God's love for us, desires for us not to sin, that we would not have these issues in our own life or whatever, but we're to be the light. And then even in the midst of typing it, I erased it because I heard the Holy Spirit say, they'll only mock you, do not do it. Mm. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I got to rediscover, so I was like, mm. And I will say at the outset that I don't believe any every natural disaster is like sent from God as punishment, right? right? But I, but it has to be considered, right? Yes. Yeah. We you you we have to be a people that seek God and say, Lord, is this from you? Yeah. Is this because of our sins? Is this a result of our sins? Yeah. Um, look at Isaiah twenty nine verse six. I do feel like because you know like there's a huge thing about praying it away, and I personally have not like I pray for the safety of the people. Like mm -hmm. the Lord, the Lord actually told me that this was coming before it started happening, mm -hmm. and so I have been praying for several weeks since Harvey happened prior to like for regarding it, but I haven't felt led to command the storm to go as a lot of people want to and I feel like if we do like Lord if I'm wrong show me but if we if we command the storm to go and it ceases and nobody repents would that be the Lord's will that's what that's yeah. what's heavy on my heart is that there would be repentance right. yeah. Yeah. Wait, Isaiah, um, 29. yeah 29 verse 6 
It says, From the Lord of hosts you will be punished with thunder and earthquake and loud wow. noise, with whirlwind and tempest and fire and flame of a consuming fire. Um, turn to another place. Turn to uh, Jonah chapter 1. And in my Bible, that's on page 1110. Um, if you look in the front of your Bibles, there's a table of contents. Isn't it interesting that we don't know where Jonah is? I don't know there's a handy, but there is a there's a handy table of contents in the front of your Bible. But and that's the thing. Sometimes, and honestly, we all have problems with that, right? Like sometimes we'll get an obscure scripture, and we're like, I'm not sure exactly where that is. Have no shame in looking Jonah. at the table of contents because Jonah that's what page. it's there for. It's for our benefit. <laughs> So we're we're talking about can storms like the stuff that we're hearing about lately in the news and stuff. Can those be punishment? And obviously they you can't ever say that they always are. Right? So whether they're from the Lord or not, we're gonna study that. But sometimes maybe they are. In Isaiah twenty nine Verse 6, it says, From the Lord of hosts you will be punished with thunder and earthquake and loud noise, with whirlwind and tempest and flame of a consuming fire. So sometimes, and obviously, again, I don't think that's in every case, but sometimes we need to pray and say, Lord, is this punishment? Is there something that we've done wrong? And I don't think that it's any stretch of anyone's imagination to see that the, our nation is a wicked nation. Right? There's a lot of sin that our nation practices. Um, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, we, we try to get God out of schools, right? You know, we try, to, we try to get the Bible out of schools. We try to get the Ten Commandments put away from, from our sight and everything. Um, we try and to legislate. Have been removed by right? the Lord. And we, okay. try, we try to legalize sin, and we're calling things that God says is evil, we're calling them good. And things that God calls good, we're calling evil and stuff. And so I'm not saying that they are, and I, I would always say to be careful with it and stuff, but sometimes it can be. And in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And Nineveh at the time was a lot like America is right now, just full of wickedness, full of idol worship, full of uh, people just... Uh, um, living for sin, right? And uh, verse three it says, "But Jonah rose, rose up to flee from, uh, flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord." So God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh basically, or Jonah goes the other direction because he doesn't want to do what God tells him to do, right? It says, uh, "So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish to, to flee." from the presence of the Lord. Look in verse 4 it says the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. So they're on the sea it says that the Lord sent this wind against them. Then the sailors became afraid and every man cried to his God and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. 
But Jonah had gone down below in the hold of the ship, had laid down and fallen asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you're sleeping? Get up and call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots. No, they're kind of like dice, right? They cast lots and they're praying about it. They're casting these lots and they're praying to their gods to show them whose fault it is that these storms have come up that are about to destroy their ship. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? From whose people are you? And Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the man became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do for you? What should we do to you so that the sea may become calm for us for the storm? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. Then he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. In other words, they didn't want to throw Jonah into the ocean, right? I mean, that would be hard to do, right? If you're in, a, in the ocean on a ship and the ship is being destroyed and... Like a guy tells you, well, hey, if you throw me in the water, it's going to be okay. <laughs> so they didn't want to do that. In verse 13, uh, verse 14, Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You see that's that? the appropriate response to verse 16. Yeah, and that's the thing. In every situation, it should, whether, whether it's from God, whether it's not from God, we should, we should seek Him, right? We should, we should turn to Him with all of our hearts. Um, again, we saw, we've seen over and over today that when, if and when God does send judgment, it's because of his love and because he wants us to turn back to him. You saw in the case of Jonah, as soon as they threw Jonah overboard, just like he asked him to do, the, the sea became calm, right? And then it talks about, it goes on to talk about the story. You guys know the story of Jonah where a big fish comes and swallows him, right? 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 Are you guys alive? You know story? Are you guys here? Hello, wake up. Have y'all heard this story? Wake up, wake up, sleeper. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So um, we saw in the story of Jonah that God did cause a storm to come because of Jonah's sin. And because Jonah was sinning against God, God caused the seas to rage. And who knows what would have happened if the people hadn't started seeking God and if the people wouldn't have done what they felt like God had told them once they sought Him, right? Okay. So... Okay, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. No. Well, you can load it. Oh, yeah. But I, I wanted to look at the other one first. Oh, the Chris Cameron one. I want to show them real quick. Well, when you're done. Hebrews chapter 12. Now, it seems like every time we kind of come back to this and stuff, but, and I'm like, Lord, should we really do this? But here's the thing. Um, 
the thing that the way that we learn scripture is by repetition, right? How do you learn to memorize things? How do you learn to remember things? It's by repeating them, right? Like if you have a math problem that you have to learn, the best way to learn it is just by repeating it over and over, right? So when we repeat God's word, when we repeat scriptures and we, we go over and over them again, it starts to get from our heads down into our heart and it starts to become real to us, right? Because how, do, how, how many times you guys know sometimes, sometimes we'll hear something, but it's not like real to us. It's just like something that we hear. Well, the Word of God is like that, and the way that it becomes real is when we repeat it and when we, we meditate on it and when we hear it over and over again, then it becomes real to us. Then it becomes life to us. And in Hebrews 12, verse, verse um, 4, it says, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and your striving against sin, and have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not light, regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges, or he whoops, every son or daughter whom he receives. So because God loves us, he disciplines us. When your mom spanks you, she does it because she loves you, and she wants to train you. Um, all of our kids, we have unapologetically taught the word of God. And we've taught them that because we see the end result. We teach them that to avoid sin, to avoid the things that they could otherwise get into. Um, like our daughters, we don't want them to sleep around and get pregnant. Why? Because we don't want to take care of the baby. No, because we know that if she does that, well, that's part of it, right? But also, if they do that, it's going to make their life much more difficult, right? Yeah. And see, that's the thing about sin. And that's why your mom tries to teach you guys things. Because if you don't listen, if you, if you do the things that she tries to tell you not to do, it will make your life more difficult. Right? Okay. So... Verse 7, it's for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son or daughter is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then, you're not, then you are illegitimate son, children and not sons. You see that? So God disciplines us because he loves us. And are you going to read verse 11? Yes. Or verse 10. It says, for they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, talking about our fathers or our parents, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. God wants to share his holiness with us. God wants to share himself with us because he loves us. He wants, he wants, to, uh, he wants to be with us. He wants to spend time with us. He wants us to spend time with him and he wants to reveal himself to us. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's so peaceful when you're not in trouble, huh? It's so, it's so peaceful, it's so nice when you're not getting yelled at. It's so nice when you're not getting spanked, right? It's a good thing. It's an awesome thing. But righteousness is peace, and, and that's key. You and it all comes down to choices, the choices that you make. Um, turn to Job chapter 1. Job is before Psalms. I want to share something with y'all too that 
Did we lose Becca? Yeah, yeah. Wait, what happened last night? Oh. Oh, Becca was here. Do you want to do that now? Yeah, or? Come on. Huh? I can wait. I just don't want to forget. Okay. Okay. Before songs or after Before. So before this is over with, you'll have all your books memorized. <laughs> yeah, I used to, but now I'm like, need to refresh my memory. Job what? Job 1. Verse 13 says, Now on the day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Or it's Job, your, all your oxen and donkeys are dead and your servants. So while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I have alone escaped to tell you. While he was still, still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped you. So he's lost his camels, he's lost his sheep, he's lost his oxen. While he was still speaking, another came to him and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came up from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people, and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So again, Job, in one day, he's lost all of his kids. He's lost his oxen. He's lost his sheep. He's lost his donkeys, his mules, everything. He's lost everything. And it's like... Say you have a business and, and all of a sudden you lose everything in one day and that happens to people. <laughs> you know, but, but not only did Job lose his business, his livelihood, all his money, all of his all of that, he, he lost his kids as well. In verse 20, 20 Job then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshipped. Job didn't get angry with God. He didn't blame God and say, God, why did you do this? Why did you make this happen? And this is the thing. So many believers stop following God whenever something happens to their lives. Because we've been taught that, you know what? God's just going to give you good things. God's going to bless you. He's going to make you happy. He's going to give you all the things that you want and stuff like that. And it's not necessarily true. We live in a world where I believe that God still allows free will. And because of free will, evil men will do bad things to you. Okay? Not only that, you have evil people doing bad things to you. You have Satan. There's a demonic force that wants to destroy your life. And there's also just circumstances. Sometimes circumstances happen like these floods and stuff like that. Could be circumstances in some people's lives that just devastate their lives. And things like that happen. And the test of that is when that happens, what are you going to do? Are you going to get mad at God and say, God, I'm not going to follow you anymore because I can guarantee you that bad things are going to happen in your life whether you follow God, whether you don't follow God. Because even if you turn away from God, that doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to you because bad things are still going to happen to you. Because we live in a world where bad things happen. Okay? So... If you are alive, if you are breathing, I will guarantee you, I will promise you, I will assure you, bad things are going to happen to you. 
And the question is, at that point, what are you going to do? Are you going to blame God? Are you going to get angry with God? Are you going to stop following Him and say, this is too hard? Or are you going to, stop, are you going to worship Him? Amen. I want to say something. I just want to say how much you bless me. And if you guys ever feel like your life sucks and you just want to give up, just talk to Christy because this woman has been through so much in her life. <laughs> And she does that, exactly that. She worships God. She will sit out every Sunday. every Sunday and worship God. And she, you've been through so much. And it, me and Dean were talking about this on the way, like when we were talking on the way home. And we're just so amazed that you didn't get angry with God in your entire life and all the things that happened to you. And some of those things happened to you by professing Christians. And it's just amazing. And um, God is pleased with that. And thank you for being an example to the rest of us. Because I, I was just so humbled, like, Lord, I complain about the smallest things, you know, and you just keep worshiping Him. And so, thank and, you and the for, thing, for that. Thank the, you for that. The thing that I think is really cool about that is you worship God, whether anyone's worshiping with you or not. Yeah. You're just gonna you, you just worship, you know. And that's just awesome. And God sees that. Said, so Job arose and tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshipped. He didn't get angry with God. He didn't turn from God. He didn't say, you know what? Forget you. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22, through all this Job did not sin nor did he blame God. And then chapter 2 verse 9 then Job's wife says to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Why don't you just curse God? Why don't you stop following God? And you will have people in your life. Yep. I guarantee you, I promise you, that when things are bad, when things are tough, people will tell you, Well, just stop all the God stuff. Mm -hmm. he's, not, he's, not, he's not helping you. What is God doing for you? What is, God what doesn't is, pay your bills. Yeah, God doesn't care about you. Why don't you just stop following Him? I promise you, you will have, hear those voices. And some of those voices will come from within your own mind. And it's demonic. And that's what the powers of darkness want you to do. Verse 9, Then his wife said to him, His wife, the closest person to him, his, his helper given to him by God, his right hand, his, his, his bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, is telling him, the one that knows him better than any other person on the planet says, well, you just need to curse God and die. I mean, <laughs> that would be a hard temptation. And so in verse 10, but Job says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And in all this, God, Job did not sin with his lips. So I, I like that what Job says. Are we going to accept good from God and not adversity? Because again, this is the picture. This is the image. This is the idea that we get about God sometimes. Is that God's just going to give me good things. You are good, good. And God is good. <laughs> and God is good all the time. God is good no matter what your circumstances are. No matter what you are going through, no matter the struggles, the temptations, whatever you're going through does not negate the fact that God is good. Yeah. And it is, it, is, it, is, it is 
demonic spirits. It is the enemy trying to get you to turn away from God, to blaspheme God, to turn back to idols, to turn to other things that will try to get you to turn in that moment. And the thing is, is we're talk we've been talking over and over about how God sends judgment to turn our hearts back to Him because the very fact of sin is a curse. Whenever you and I sin, it is like a cancer. When we sin, whenever you sin, it, 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 uh, it brings a cancer into this world that we live in. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 4. And so it's not something that, that God does. It's not, it's not something that, uh, you know, that's, that's, it's just a law. It is set into the laws of nature. It is set into the laws of our planet and the laws of humankind is that whenever we sin, it brings a curse. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, Um, you guys know the story of Cain and Abel, how both of them had sacrifices before God. God accepted Cain's sacrifice, Abel. or Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept, accept Cain's sacrifice. And in verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? So, because God didn't accept his sacrifice, Cain is mad at God. He is angry at God. Just like many of us get when, whenever things don't go our way, whenever things don't happen. God, I was doing, and even sometimes, you know, we have done things. We have served the Lord. We have, we have followed the Lord. We have tried to, tried to um, do God's will. And even in the midst of that, things didn't turn out the way that we wanted to. And things went really, really bad. And stuff, and we're like, God, what is going on here? We're trying to follow you. We're trying to do your will. And stuff. And again, when while we live in this world, there will be tribulation. There will be tribulation. The Bible says, through many tribulations, through many trials, we must go to enter the kingdom of heaven. While we are in this flesh, while we are on this planet, again, there are forces working to destroy. Um, the, the message of God, to destroy God's character, to destroy God's nature. And when you are trying to serve God, whenever you are trying to um, be an ambassador for God, when you are trying to be a part of that, uh, showing the world who God is like, there will be forces that align themselves against you to destroy you because you are making an impact in the world. Because you are being a testimony, because you are being a light. In this world, there is Satan who wants nothing but darkness in this world. And he lives, his purpose, his one desire is to destroy the image of God in this world. And if you're living for the image of God, or if you're living to promote the image of God, he will do everything he can to destroy that and make it not happen. You all see that? Verse uh, 7 or verse 6 again, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? And I think this is awesome. Even in the midst of Cain's sin, God could say, well, whatever. If that's the way you're going to be, then fine. But God comes to him and he reasons with him. He says, why are you mad? He says, if you do well, and again, we saw over and over, God warned the people. He says, if you do this, if you follow me with your, all your heart, you, you will be blessed. I will bless you. But if you don't, you are going to bring a curse on yourself. It says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, God is warning him, sin is crouching at your door. 
and its desire is for you, but you must master it. When he tells him you must master it, he is also saying, also saying you can master it by my strength, by my power. God's right there with him, and God is right there going to give him the ability to overcome it if he will be willing. Cain told Abel his brother, and, when, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and he killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, not from God, but from the ground. He says, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. You see that? And I think that that's, that just shows a picture that, that sin brings a curse. Sin, wherever there's sin, and again, it's not like God is cursing that person. It's sin, by its very nature, creates a curse. So whenever we sin, and that's the thing, we think that whenever we sin, like we, we have our secret sins, right? I'll just do this sin. Nobody will see it. It's not going to hurt nobody but myself. That is not true. Every time we sin, I believe that it goes out into the atmosphere and it curses the earth. And so by the other, on the other hand, whenever we do good, whenever we live righteously, it spreads righteousness into the earth, Right? And that's one of the reasons why we let our light shine. Because when we live before God, even though no one sees it, even though no one says, man, you are doing an awesome job. You keep doing what you're doing. Even though no one makes you, you know, uh, gives you a promotion because of it. When you are living righteously, God sees it, number one. And number two, it affects everything around you. Like Paul said, we are the, the, the uh, saver of life. To one and the savor of death to others to those who are living in flesh this stuff is like death and that's why people don't people that are living for their sins people that are living for their world for their own self gratifications they don't want to hear the gospel they don't want to hear anything about God they don't want to hear anything about righteousness because it is the savor of death to their desires it is the savor of death to what they want their selfish needs their selfishness to fulfill their selfish desires and it's like death to that so they don't want to hear anything about it it is only those who come to the realization that god i need you and i want i see my sins i see that i'm that way and i cannot change by myself but if you will change me i will allow myself to be changed by you all right um Okay, Deuteronomy 11. And again, it was God's desire for Cain to not sin. It is God's desire for us to not sin. It is God's desire to bless us, to make us to... And, and the thing is, is, again, just like we've talked about before, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace. And God, by his presence, was there with him. And I'm telling you, the reason for many of us that we don't follow God is because we've never experienced what it is to have the presence of God in our lives. And that's the real blessing. He's not necessarily promising wealth, exactly. wealth, health, and prosperity. <laughs> but the thing is, is when you connect 
with the Spirit and the presence of God, when you connect with the one that created you, when you connect with the one who knows you better than you know yourself, the one who loves you far more than anybody else on this planet could possibly love, when you connect with the one who created you to connect with him, then everything falls into place. Then that is life. That is where you find meaning. That's where you find purpose. And that's where all this junk and all this filth and all this hatred and animosity, that's when it makes sense. That's when you're like, hey, as long as I'm in the presence of God, it doesn't matter what else is going on. Because I have found the one whom my soul has been searching for. I have found the one that I have been created to be in communion with. And that's where it clicks, and now you are home. Um, Deuteronomy 9. I thought you said 11. Do I say 11? 11, yeah. Verse 26. This is God when he was giving the law to the people of Israel. In verse 26, he says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. So again, it's all about choice. We make choices. We make we choose who we're going to follow. We choose who you're going to who we're going to serve. Um, and I, I have to be honest. I don't believe in this. You just say this prayer and you never you you never have to choose again. You you say a prayer and your your ticket is punched. You don't ever have to do anything. You don't. You're you're just good to go, right? Because I have found that even as a believer, on a day to day basis, I still have choices to make. And I'm not like some puppet where God is is moving me and you know and stuff. Oh, don't sin here, sin here. You know, don't do you know and stuff. God still allows us to have free will. We still, and it's more glorifying to God if we have free will and we choose not to do the things that our flesh may want to do. If that glorifies God so far much more than if God has made us these puppets and now every single thing that we do is because God is ordering it and God is directing us and God is like sovereign and you know God has made us like these puppets to do everything that he wants us to do. That, I don't know about your experience, but I have never ever experienced that in my life. Now there have been times when I feel strongly, okay, this is what God wants me to do, and still I make that choice of whether I'm going to do it or whether I'm not going to do it, whether I'm going to obey, whether I'm going to disobey and stuff. And that glorifies God because he created us to walk with him on our own initiative, by our own choice, by our own volition. Adam and Eve were walking with God in a perfect situation in the Garden of Eden where there was no sin. And out of that, they chose that they weren't going to obey. They chose that they were going to disobey and listen to the voice of the enemy rather than the voice of God. Why do you think that is that he gives us free will? Do you think it's because he wants us? He wants a love, a true love relationship is based on choosing. Right? Oh yeah. It's like the whole. What was it saying? If you if you let a bird go and it comes back to you, or if you let a animal go and it comes back to you, it's because it loves you. If it doesn't love you, it's. I've heard that about. You chase it down and shoot it or something. Like it, so like if 
Yeah, because we're in a marriage, like you're left to the thing. But if you just do nice things for me because I make you, then it's not doesn't really feel like love. To right. You. If you and choose to do nice things for me because you love me, then I feel genuinely loved, and so right. And that's also why the uh, make the woman submit thing doesn't work either, because right. we've tried that yeah. and stuff. And the more you try to put someone <laughs> under your thumb, the more you try to force them to submit, that love goes out the window. I even feel like that for children. Like, sure, yeah. I feel like the Lord showed me that I'm not to lord over them, you know? And my understanding of, like, being their parent was different than it is now. Mm. And since, like, I mean, obviously, I'm not just going to let them do whatever they want, but... It's the attitude once you do it. It's the attitude, and there's, like, is picking my battles. Is this really... Yeah that big of a deal for me to have strife with, hmm. you know, or do I just lead them by example? And so that's what I'm learning. That's yeah. good. That's and, and that's the thing. Through all this, God is still love. No matter what, no matter what goes on, God is love. Yes, it's true. It is true. God is love. He's also all these other things too, but he is love. And the whole thing about hell is like, even if so, if someone goes to hell, it's not because God sent them there. Like you hear all the time, well, how could a loving God send people to hell? If you go to hell, it's because you chose that you weren't going to follow God. God, just like he went to Cain or to Abel, he came, comes to him and says, look, you, you can have a blessing here. You can have an eternity with me. You can have glory. You can have blessing. You can have peace forever and ever and ever. Or you can have hell. And God will not make that choice for you. I believe it is a lie from hell to say that before the foundation of the world began that God dis destined who was going to be saved and who was going to be damned for all eternity. I don't see it in the Word, and I don't see it in reality. I don't see that in any choices in life. It stops people from preaching the gospel. Too. Well, it does. It does stop people from Why preach the gospel if God has already determined who he's going to save? And the thing is, is furthermore, I don't believe in a God who before the foundation of the world, before anyone chose anything, before anyone had a chance to choose any decision or anything like that, God says, you know what? You're going to go to hell. You know what? You're going to be saved. Uh, you're going to hell. You're saved. You're saved. You're going to hell. That is not God. And it doesn't agree with Scripture. Now, there are a couple verses that make it sound like, well, maybe that could be true. But if you examine them, if you break them down, and if you line them up with the rest of Scripture, it is not true. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. fine. Um, and I think that the worst, for me, the worst part about hell will be when people are in eternity and they can see people that they love enjoying the fruits and the blessings of heaven and they can't be a partaker of that. Just like when we, now we look at our neighborhood, he's got this great yard or, our, you know, people have things that we covet and that we long for. And we're like, man, it would sure be awesome to have a million dollars like Trump does or a billion dollars or whatever. It'd be awesome to have these things. I believe that in eternity, we're going to, I think the biggest punishment will be to see that you could be there with God. You could be in the presence of Almighty God with His blessings, with His love, with all of that, and you're missing out on it. And to see 
people that you know and that you love enjoying those blessings and being partakers of those blessings and knowing that you cannot be a partaker of those blessings. Isn't I that, think that parable you read that it wasn't Yeah, it well, that's kind of the same way. Of course that's a parable, so yeah, you don't want to see the blessings of right. heaven from hell. He could see Yeah. yeah. Um, so something else that I wanted to talk about is is people say, well, you know, um, God does not judge his people. God disciplines his people, but he doesn't judge his people. Turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. Judgment starts in the house of God. Yeah. That's scary. So again, people say so many things, and people believe so many things, but the question is, is what you say, is what you believe, is that based in Scripture, or is this something that feels good? I mean, because honestly, it would feel good for me. I mean... You know, you think about Mormonism. I mean, I guess it'd be great to like have like ten wives to serve you and, and to take care of you and stuff and, and to like, you know, I mean yeah, you know, I mean your flesh would go, Ooh, that's that's okay, that sounds pretty good. But we don't follow our flesh. We follow the word of God. And that's the thing with just about every false religion is they take things that gratify your flesh, that, that make your flesh happy. They take, the, they take religion and having the benefits and the blessings of religion without any of those pesky commandments, <laughs> without having to die to yourself, without having to get up on your cross and follow the Lord. That's pretty much most false religions in a nutshell. Not all of them, but that's most of them. It's like we can have Jesus and live the way we want to, too. Right? Um, so in First Peter 4, verse 12. Um, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. In other words, the trials, the things that come into your life, the really hard times. For these guys, they were going into tribulation to the point where they're starting to see loved ones die. And people beheaded, people crucified for following Christ. He says, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Just like Job. What did he do? He worshipped God, right? So that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Verse 17, just like he said, for it's time for judgment, judgment, judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Turn to another place in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And, it is, and if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, mm. what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Hebrews what? Hebrews chapter 10. You always catch the stuff that I miss. We are completion. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. Now, the book of Hebrews, we've talked about it before, was written to people who were, who were Jewish converts to Christianity, 
And the problem with the early church is wherever Christianity would go, wherever Paul would go and preach the gospel, Judaizers would follow right after him and say, you know, it's okay to follow Jesus. It's okay to be a Christian, to, to worship God, do all that stuff, but you got to be circumcised. You also got to keep the Torah. You got to you got to you got to uh, sacrifice bulls and calves and goats and stuff like that. You have to do ritual washings, cleansing, purifying. You got to keep the Passover. You got to eat certain things. You can't eat pork. You can't eat all these unclean things. You can't touch a dead person. You can't do any of these unclean things. And so, so all these things that in the Old Testament they were to point to spiritual things that we as believers do, like we don't touch death in the sense that. Uh, we don't practice sin, right? Uh, you don't eat unclean things. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him. So the unclean thing is not something that I eat. The unclean thing is my thoughts, the lust, the anger, the murder, the hatred, the, re the rebellion, the, the whatever. Those are the unclean things that you're not to be a partaker of. Okay, so, uh, and then Paul is warning these people because a bunch of people were turning back to the things that God had saved them from. He says, for if we go on sinning, and he says, if we, Paul including himself, and again, the book of Hebrews is not written to unbelievers, it's written to believers. He says, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and is regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? In other words, here the blood of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the perfect human, the only perfect human that's ever lived, God in the flesh, he shed his blood to wash us from our sins. These people are wanting to go back to the blood of bulls and goats. So they're going from the perfect back to the imperfect and stuff. And God had saved them from that. And even today, there are multitudes of Christians that want to go from the perfect back to the imperfect. When is the red heifer going to be found? When are the temple, in, uh, temple rituals going to be reinstated and all that stuff? They're not. <laughs> it says, and so this is the same thing Paul was dealing with. In verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So again, these are New Testament references. These aren't Old Testament references. Um, so yeah. Um, can you show that video of the girl? Um, it's, it's really in line with where I'm at. I do have a question regarding this scripture. Um, this is something I've kind of always like not fully understood and just kind of struggled with. But um, a while back, like we used to keep the Sabbath, but you know Saturday mm -hmm. or whatever. And so I I really question and wonder like how are I don't understand how I know we're delivered from the law, but like if God if Jesus says like. He has not abolished the law. He came to fulfill it. How do we wow. not still do that? Okay. I so, know there are types and shadows. I just don't fully understand. Right. 
So the thing is, is he fulfilled it. And the, the Bible talks about Hebrews is a great book for that. Yeah. Because it talks about how Christ is our Sabbath. And it says, right. uh, many of you have not entered into that rest because when we enter into Christ, we rest from our works and we have entered into that Sabbath. So the point that he was trying to say, what they did is one day a week, they would set aside to worship God, to, to, to not work, to not do anything, but to focus purely on God. Well, in the New Testament, when we come into, into Jesus through his spirit, um, Every day is a Sabbath, and we're to be focusing on Him at all times, just like Paul said. At all, pray at all times in the Spirit with thanksgiving songs, I guess I spiritual harms. So I just didn't understand it to the point of breaking it down. Like in my mind, I thought, "Oh well, it's every day that we're to worship Him." Yeah. And so, not really. I mean, there's obviously the scripture that says, "Don't forsake assembling together," for that is not wise. Right. You know, so in wisdom, we should. We should, you know, have a day set aside to fellowship and hear yeah. the word and, and wisdom. We also well, and then need to in rest the our new early church, they met every day. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that's we, and that's the thing. I mean, there there are denominations that still meet on Saturday, and they're like, "Well, we got to meet on the Sabbath and things right. like that." And it's like, "Well, you you and, and and it's like whatever." I mean, if they they love the Lord, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't have a problem with it per se, but. But not to the, judge each other. Yeah, and the, the, the problem the, the problem is with it that is if you misunderstand in one area, um, it's likely you're going to misunderstand another area. It's not that we know it all because we don't. But but you know what I'm saying? I mean, the, 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 the whole thing is is that we the more we learn about him, the more we understand, the more we stop doing the things that, that don't make sense, the things that don't line up, and the more we just focus mm -hmm. on the things that do make sense. Um, I guess the confusing part to me is the fact that the Lord says, like, not a, like, jot or tittle will be right. removed. Well, and that, not, and I'm not talking about, like, all of Moses' laws. Yeah. I'm just talking about, like, the Ten Commandments, right. you know? like. Well, and, and even with the Ten Commandments, none of the Ten Commandments were lightened. As a matter of fact, they were all, they were all heightened. Jesus said, "You've been told not to look upon a right. woman with lust, or not to not to uh, commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery. Right. Uh, you've been told uh, uh, not to murder, but if you if you if you hate someone in your heart, you've already murdered them. So, so all the all ten, all the murder. all the moral commandments, all the ten moral commandments were heightened, right. rather than lessened. But all the all the other stuff, which weren't commandments anyway, they, right. they, they were all things. They were all a lot like the parables of the New Testament. They were all there to.